and open your Bible to Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 4, we're going to finish up the teamwork part of this book. Colossians chapter 4, and if you can, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to read 14, 15, and 17. Might as well read the whole thing, 14 to 17. Colossians chapter 4, 14 to 17, and um, let's read it together, starting now. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nympha, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from the Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a personal letter that you inspired and motivated Paul to write to a church that he'd never been to, the people he'd never seen. And he loved them and encouraged them and he helped uh, straighten out some doctrinal problems and also some practical things. But here at the end, Lord, um, he's trying to be an encouragement. Maybe we let these words be an encouragement to us. Bless your people here tonight. Thank you for them making the effort to come out. You deserve so much more. I pray that we give you our best in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. <clears throat> We're now at the end of this amazing book. It's a letter written by Paul to some Christians, as I just said, he's never met. It's up in the middle of uh, modern-day Turkey in a town or a city called Colossae. Uh, this is written to a group of people, to a church in that city that he'd never been to, and he's writing from a prison cell. I don't know um, uh, what you think about Christians and Christian ministers. Most ministers uh, seem to be pretty well off financially, they seem to, um, uh, some even have their own private jets. Um, they have multi-million euro houses. But Paul did most of his ministry from prison. So uh, you think about this letter, and you couldn't tell that he's writing from prison, could you? There's no griping, no complaining. He just says at the end, he says, remember my bonds. <laughs> Pray for me. I mean, what a way to talk. So uh, he's covered a lot of different topics. We won't review those, but he shared his heart and passion for people to just live right. Uh, you, you never, never, it's, it's, it's something that's got to be said over and over, and it says you can't coast through the Christian life. You need constant encouragement, constant equipping, constant uh, fortification and strengthening because the flesh gets weak. And even our, even our spirit just sometimes just wants to give up. So Paul writes to, uh, an encouraging letter to keep them going. And he finishes up this letter with some salutes. All right? It's, that means greetings. And uh, he writes some encouraging words to those who had chosen to leave their jobs and lands to preach the gospel as a team. He finishes off not writing to individual church members, he tries to honor those who usually, in, in, in the Bible gospel ministry, rarely get recognized. It's, it, listen, uh, the whole purpose of a church is people. 
And so you go out of your way to minister to them and bless them and encourage them and keep them coming. But the, the encouragers need encouraging too, don't they? So Paul says, oh, by the way, let me try to encourage those who are part of a team of the gospel ministry in church planning, preaching, and soul winning. So uh, some five preliminary thoughts as we leave, as we finish this chapter, Paul has bas- is basically in chapter four giving four, five things, sorry, five things to the men who are in the ministry with him. First thing, make sure you do the work of the ministry. Don't just sit back and take the benefit of the ministry. Uh, you, um, uh, there, there ought not to be any lazy people in the ministry. If you ever get into the ministry, amen, Brother Andrew, you're going to be worn out, you're going to go extra hours, and nobody will know about it. It is a ton of work serving the Lord and serving people. So do the work of the ministry. Secondly, work together. God does not uh, normally use lone rangers. He sometimes has to because he can't get people to work together. But work together in the ministry as a team. Value uh, uh, the, the, the concept that God says a church is a body working together in their, in their local area, winning the lost. But men uh, uh, work together in the ministry to, to reach the world. God has a, a network of people who work the ministry all over the world together. We don't have our own ministries. I don't, I don't like all of these. There's all kinds of different ministries out there. And when it comes to the Bible, everybody's got a part in one ministry, and that's turning the world upside down with the gospel. So we're together in the ministry. Third, salute everybody as a family. Stay close to every believer. Stay close to one another. Honor and go out of your way to bless other believers. Don't let anyone be left out of your fellowship, which means this. You know, uh, we, we have the tendency to have little cliques, you know. Uh, uh, if, if you're, um, you know, if we had a lot of people from Texas in our church, guess where all the Texans would be? All over in one corner, all talking Texan, amen? Then you get the Filipinos over here, and they're talking Tagalog. And then you get all of the people, you know, from another area, and we click. And you don't do that. In Christianity, we greet one another as family. That's, that's, that's what Paul is saying. Salute one another as family. And then pass the scriptures around and learn them well. They did not have what you have. They did not have the privilege of carrying around a complete Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So they were passing around and making copies of portions of scriptures. It was so precious to them. And then he says, last of all, depend upon grace. We'll talk about those things in a few weeks. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about doing the work of the ministry and working together. Like uh, as a team, when you're doing something, uh, uh, my first picture I had up here, I think I've got it up here still, or maybe it was up there earlier, where you got these guys in a, in a rowboat, and there's like 12 men, and they all have a row um, a paddle, and they're all working together, and they're in a race. In the Christian life, it is a race. Now, we've got to run it patiently, but you are working together. If you've got somebody going the other way, you're only going to go in circles. And Christianity's got too many people going their own directions instead of working together as a team, like Paul and Timothy did. Make sure you have some epaphrases around and some ticket kisses. Ticket kisses. And then you've got Onesimus. And then you've got Aristarchus and Marcus and Jesus, who's also called Justice. We left off last week, this evening, I want us to pick up there in chapter 4 and verse 14, and we'll pick up Luke. Chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, 
greets you. So we're going to talk about Luke for a minute because every church needs some Lukes and every Christian team needs some Lukes. Who was this guy, Luke? Now he, obviously, he's called a beloved what? All right, so he's a doctor. Now, he's probably, he's probably one of the greatest blessings to Paul because he tended to Paul's health issues. Paul was not a magician. He could not wave his hand and heal a skin infection. or um, he, he usually went after and helped other people, but Paul had a personal physician that, that kept him going and, and probably just tended to his wounds with all kinds of natural things and herbs and stuff, helping him so that he was able to, to, to continue even though he was living in prison cells. But he was more than a doctor. By the way, can I say this? Doctors are not of the devil. Right? Doctors, and, and if you ever have to use a medicine, that doesn't mean that you have no faith. No stupid thing. Can you imagine if you broke your arm and you says, I'm going to believe God to heal my arm. Well, you're going to end up with a twisted arm then. You may need a doctor to come along and set that thing. You need somebody who can help you. So don't just say, well, anybody who, who goes to a doctor is not living by faith, like some churches say. There's some time to need a doctor. <clears throat> Uh, Jewish doctors, uh, like Lucas, were not superstitious. They weren't like a lot of the other uh, physicians that were in a lot of the other nations. And, and uh, now they weren't as advanced as modern doctors. But doctors back then, and like doctors now, are usually men of detail. Um, they, 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 they took notes. They found out. They looked for what was the cause. They tried to help the thing. Paul had a friend named Luke who was very precise. He was a thinker. He was, um, uh, he's not described as somebody who was a great preacher. He's not described as a great teacher. As a matter of fact, I don't find him starting any churches in the Bible. I don't find him writing any songs or building any monuments. You know what I find him doing? He's being a friend. He's being a friend. Look at that verse. It doesn't say Luke the physician. What does he call him? Luke, the beloved physician. Luke was probably Paul's, one of Paul's best friends. What does it mean to be a, a, a beloved friend? Well, he was, he, you know, you have friends. Don't tell me you have Facebook and say you have a thousand friends. You do not, all right? Uh, what you have is you have, if you have friends, if you have five real friends, you're a rich person. Now, a, a, a real friend is with you. Look where Luke is. Uh, Luke is right with Paul. Paul's in prison. Luke is outside of the prison wall, but right outside of the prison door. But Luke, and Demas is there as well, but they greet you. He's saying, Luke is with me. Demas is with me. We want to tell you, hey. So one of the signs that you have a friend is that somebody always is there with you, always wants to be with you. They stay with you. He was with Paul in his good days, and believe me, Paul had some bad days. Luke was Paul's most faithful companion in the gospel ministry. Hold your place here and go to the right. Find 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 11. 2 Timothy 4 in verse 11. Oh, I'll start with uh, Dean. If you would read that, please. 2 Timothy 4, 11. <clears throat> All right, now we're going to look at 
other people who were, had abandoned Paul in just a minute, his name was Demas, but he says, only who is still with me? Wow. When everybody else had left, Paul had a friend who was not leaving. Would you like a friend like that? Now, the first friend you need like that is Jesus, who will stick with you closer than a brother. But in the ministry, you need a friend who will stay with you and not leave you. You know what I believe about, going back to Colossians there, I think Paul uh, knew that Luke loved him. When he says, the beloved, my, the, the beloved physician, he says, I love him, but I know he loves me. And that's a, that's a thing that the world has robbed, and that's the ability for, for, for people to just be able to love one another without it being misunderstood, twisted. How many people know you love them? How many people? I mean, I'm not saying that you talk to them. Uh, we're we're pro, so prone to tell everybody what we think. But how many people know you love them? How many, besides your wife, and hopefully she knows, or your husband or your kids, but in, in, in church, do people know you love them or do you just so, sort of say, hi? I believe Luke was beloved not only by Paul, but by a lot of people. Luke's whole character was he was a friend. He was also a writer. I call him a journaler. That's, I don't want to call him a journalist, but a journaler, like Nehemiah was. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke that bears his name, as we know, but he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to show you when Paul met Luke, and Luke started going with Paul. Go back to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And throughout Paul's journeyings up until this point, it's always Paul and Barnabas, they, and him. I want you to watch how the whole narrative changes. Starting in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, I'll read. Now when, notice the word, they had gone through out Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After, what's the word? Verse 7, they were come to Mysia. What's the next word? They, this is Paul and Silas and these guys, they assayed, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And next word, they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, what's the next word? Who? Say it all out. Say it with me. You bunch of French people here. We, at that point, Paul is joined by Luke. He said, we um, uh, endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called, what's the word? Us, for to preach the gospel unto them. So you've got... Um, uh, Let's see, let's do verse, uh, uh, verse 11 goes on. Therefore, losing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Salmathria and the next day to Neapolis. So he's now writing. He's going to go back and find out all what happened in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. And he, the writer of Acts is, is, uh, it starts with Paul from chapter 16 and verse 9 on. So he's the guy who's just journaling. He's just writing everything that's happening around Paul, and it must have been absolutely the most exciting life to live. Thirdly, he was also a laborer. 
It's also labor. Go to Philemon, just before Hebrews. Philemon and Mona. Did I have you read already yet, Mona? Okay, Mona, if you'll read. Philemon, there's only one chapter, verse 24. <clears throat> now, what is Paul? He's a doctor. What else is he? He's a writer. I said Paul. Luke, exactly, thank you. Now, I want you to find that he's also a laborer. He's a hard worker. Go ahead. All right. So he doesn't leave out Luke, even though Luke has got physician hands. Okay? Even though Luke, uh, you know, is very intellectual. He's, he's um, uh, probably the smartest guy in the whole group, and he's probably, you know, um, uh, you know, he's got that air about him. But you know what he's known for? Getting his hands dirty. He's a fellow worker with everybody else. And you know, it's nice to have a church where everybody just works. It's nice when you have a ministry where there's nobody above the others, maybe in, in total, in their office maybe, but most of the time it's just a bunch of fellow laborers. I find that Paul just worked, and the people who were around him were fellow workers. And, and Luke wasn't afraid of, of hard work. He was not lazy. As a matter of fact, if you ever meet somebody who's studying to be a doctor or ever is a doctor, they are not lazy. The amount of work that a doctor has to do and, and get to the place where he can, even as a GP, is phenomenal. I have great respect for doctors. But here's a great thought. We need men in the ministry. I'm not just talking about people in church. I mean, I'd love to have a doctor saved in church. Amen? I kind of fear for him. He would be every Sunday, oh, doctor, I got this pain. Anyway, but we need men in the ministry who have studied who've worked hard, who've built their career, and they've applied that learning. They decided to apply that learning to the ministry, and they've resigned, and they've, they're, they're not having a, a practice. They're now serving the Lord. This is a great servant in the ministry. So just because somebody is, is saying, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, my life career is to be a surgeon, or my life's career is to be a, um, uh, an astronaut. I don't care if you're, if you're studying to be an accountant or an architect, a builder or a business manager. Doesn't matter if you're training to be a plumber or a counselor. You know what? You know what the gospel ministry needs? Needs you. And you say, well, I can't quit my career. Why not? I did. And it doesn't hurt in the ministry when people say, you know, I know God has called me out of whatever I was planning to do His will. That's the real sovereignty of God. The real sovereignty of God is that He has the rule over your life. <laughs> Amen. Luke was somebody who surrendered. He was, he was still a physician because he didn't stop. But he used that talent note for the Lord. As a matter of fact, there are plenty of mission fields that could be received and be used. So, in the ministry, watch out for Demasus. Let's go back there in Colossians. His name shows up here. Colossians 4 and verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now here's one of those names that raises caution when you hear it. Because he started off well. He really did. He started off surrounded by the best people. He worked alongside he worked alongside Luke. He was with Aristarchus. He was with the in crowd. He was with the, 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 the creme de la creme of, of servants of God. He was in good company. But it didn't finish that way. 
let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 now. And if I could get Pat, Patrick, if you would read 2 Timothy starting chapter 4 verses 9 to 11 now. No, 2 Timothy 4, 19. Yes, I said 19. 9 to 11. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, and loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, stretching to Galatia, and headed unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for ministry. Wow. So he tells Timothy, get here fast. Everybody's running off. Everybody's got their own things that they got to do. And Paul needed men around him to do the work of the ministry. And Demas, it's very, it's one of the saddest scriptures about a Christian. Demas hath forsaken me. I don't think that Demas forsook God. You know how I know people like this. This is how people talk. You ready? Oh, pastor, I'm moving on. I'm going to another church. I haven't given up on God. Oh, pastor, I'm just not, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm giving up on church, but I'm not giving up on God. You ever hear that? Rubs me the wrong way. Now, I don't, I don't think that Demas became an apostate, but he gave up on Paul, and it hurt Paul. Uh, he fell out of the ministry, and I think this, I think he could make, I think Demas found out he could make more money speaking or doing something somewhere else. And let me tell you, you almost always can make more money than you can in the ministry, all right? Let's be honest. He just wanted to have a nice life. It's, it's a risky life. I mean, Paul's going from prison to prison. Demas is sitting outside of the prison. Maybe he got in prison with Paul because of preaching or whatever. Who knows what all Demas had to experience. John Mark fell away because he was overwhelmed by the ministry. So I don't blame him, but I do kind of get very dis disappointed that we don't have more people who are afraid of pulling back than we do because there's too many people who, oh, pastor, oh, I'm excited, and next week, I'm busy. Hmm. Demas ended up hurting Paul. In the ministry, I'll tell you this, as a pastor and church starter, you rely on people being there, not just people to hear you, but you, have, you know, I rely on people to meet at the door. I rely on people to, to set up and to, to uh, prepare the tea. I rely on people to set up and take down. And when people say, nah, I, I, I'm not going to be there, it hurts. It hurt Paul. It hurt other Christians. Because I guarantee you a lot of people looked up to Demas. I guarantee you Demas was one of those bright and shining stars of the ministry and of serving God that used to, before, before 2 Timothy chapter 4, that used to encourage young men to step out and to risk everything and to go into poverty and preach the gospel. And here Demas hmm, went back into the world. It hindered Paul's church planning abilities. It, 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 Paul couldn't use, here was Demas was being used to start churches and preach and to minister. Paul's in prison. He used to be able to send Peter, uh, Peter send Demas to go and do something. And Demas said, nah. Let me just say this. How long is that Bible in your hand going to be around? Forever. And how is Demas remembered? 
as somebody who abandoned the ministry. Is that terrifying? You know, you're going to meet demons in heaven. Kind of like Jonah, I think demons are going to have his head down. <laughs> wow. You know, it's nice when nobody knows you. And you can put on a show and you can say, Woo, you know, I'm a servant of God. Demons never have that ability anymore. God said, you know what, demons? Mm, I got to do this. And he put his name down in a book that's for all eternity going to record the fact he left. Now, <clears throat> I have to say this, a lot of Christians don't finish well. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And Nita, if you'll read Galatians 5, verses 7 to 9. <clears throat> How many Christians start good, start well, Nita? What do you think? How many Christians start well? A lot. How many of them finish well? Galatians 5, verses 7 to 9. So look at the illustration that Paul uses. He says, you were running so well. You were doing so much. He's talking to the churches in Galatia. But the principle applies, and he says, you were doing so fine. Who messed with you? What internet channel did you watch? What got you to where you stopped the race and hindered you? And then he throws something. He says, a little bit of leaven is all it took to shut you off and to stop you from winning the race. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, in verses 20 and 21, Adelina. Matthew 13, 20 to 21. You know what? I mean, Jesus Christ didn't call us to start and then not finish. Jesus said to his 12, I'm sorry, one second. Uh, Jesus didn't say to his 12, when everybody else had left, he didn't say, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm so glad you're still here. What did he say to him? Will you also go away? Terrifying thought that we might one day, and don't you put yourself above it that you might not, but you might one day say, I, I'm, I'm through. Because if the devil can get you to quit, he will. So watch here, Matthew 13, verse 20, <clears throat> 20 and 21. So Jesus gives four soils. One of them he compares to the word falling on stony places. And the stone hits the top, I'm sorry, the seed hits the top of the stone, and with a bit of moisture, whoo, it starts to sprout. But as soon as that sun comes up and starts to turn the heat on, it withers and dies. Just because things got hard. And that's what Demas did. Now, let me just take it a little bit further. Paul constantly worried about not finishing. And I think that's good because I'll teach you something tonight. Go to Acts 20, verse 24. Rodell, Acts 20, 24. <clears throat> Acts 
So Paul says, I'm not going to let anything move me, which means move me off of the, the racetrack. And he says, I don't even count my life dear unto myself. I'm not even going to protect my life so that I might finish. You hear him in there? He's not boasting. He says, I've got to do this. I've got to finish. Go to 1 Corinthians 9.24. Clive, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians 9.24. <clears throat> Okay, now in a normal race, how many prizes are there? Normally, one, two, or three. Good. So, if you start a race and you don't finish the race, is it even possible to win first, second, or third place? No. So, Jesus, so, so Paul is saying to all Christians, he says, look, everybody can't win, but run like you're going to win. And you can't win if you don't finish. That's the point. How many Christians... We're going to get to heaven and get nothing as far as rewards or honor by the Lord. Too many. Too many. Paul worried about not finishing. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7. 2 Timothy, Josiah, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Now, look, restart in verse 6, if you will, please. 6 and 7. Okay. So this is Paul's last letter. It, I know it's not the last in his sequence, but this is the last thing he writes, and he says, I finished. I kept the faith. I stayed, I stayed the course. Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12.1, Barry, please. Hebrews 12.1. We have this um, airy-fairy view of, of, of God and, and of Christian life, and we think it's all just unicorns and butterflies. It's not. It's hard, especially if you serve God. Uh, Barry, 12.1. All right, so let us run and not quit. So, Demas, mm, just not a good guy to follow after. <laughs> There's another guy now. And I, how many of you have an NIV at home? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But anyway, show you something about this, about this guy. Go back to Colossians. Because the NIV and most new Bibles have a major problem with nymphus. All right, Colossians 4, 15 and 16. Look at what it says. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and, he says he's saying, salute Nymphus. And the church which is where? In his house. That is, unless you're reading an NIV. And it says, salute the, the, the church that's in her house. Boy, doesn't that help out the women preachers. This guy was not a woman. Boy, that sounds really smart. <laughs> this guy was not a woman. He did not have a gender dysphoria. 
this is the name of a man. It's in his house, by the way. Nymphus was a pastor. He was a Bible teacher. And uh, uh, I mean, that, that people would want, would yearn to have a verse like this so that you could say that a woman, woman can be a preacher. Even though the Bible says a bishop must be the husband of one wife. It just works that way. This guy had an entire church meeting in his house. How would you like all to, uh, now Celine's not here so we can't use her house, but let's, let's pretend, I see in Jane's house, so let's all go to your house and have church. You'd say, okay, once, and then after that you'd lock the door or else you'd move, right? But in most of the world, and we had it, man, uh, we didn't have, uh, I think we'd have 25, 26, how many did we pack in our house at different times when we first started the church? Filled up sitting room. And church in the house, that's how you start. That's where you begin. And Paul talking to a church planner and he says, goodness gracious, say hello to Nymphus and all of the people in his house. Now, Paul wanted to keep him encouraged because it's a hard work when you got a small group. There is no money. <laughs> There's lots of problems. People are coming and, and, and you're carrying all the weight. And Paul says, I just send greetings to you guys because I want you to finish the work. Nymphus was part of a, a wider team that, that not only was planning churches, but pastoring the churches that got started. And uh, um, he's just a good guy. There's another couple in the Bible that actually had a church in their house as well, we find in the book of Romans. It was a nice couple called Aquila and Priscilla. And there are several people that have churches in their houses, and uh, which really, really is the way to go. That's how you start a church. Now, we got another guy here. He's the last guy we're going to look at, verse 17 there in Colossians. And he's an unusual fella. Verse 17 says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Now, this was a man that was struggling with God's call on his life. I am embarrassed today. Can I be honest with you? that there are Christians who reject the idea that God calls men into the ministry. I don't understand that. No wonder nobody does things. Because they don't believe that God puts it on their heart. They only want to do things if they want to do it. Doesn't that sound very convenient? Well, if I feel like it, Pastor. Go to Luke chapter 7 and verse 8. I'm going to ask... Alan, would you like to read Luke chapter 7 and verse 8? Soldiers. This was a centurion, which means he was a Roman soldier who had a hundred men under his authority. And all he had to do was command that one person to come, and he'd come. And he'd send to another person, go, and he'd go. 
And he said, Jesus, all you have to do is command and the sickness in my servant will be healed. I understand authority and I understand obeying. And I know that you obey your father and I know that every spirit will obey you. And Jesus turns around and he says, this is a man of great what? Faith. See, God does call. You know what a call is? It's a command. We are commanded, Matthew 28, for us to go to church, right? No, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, teaching how many nations? All nations. Are we obeying? That doesn't mean that you actually, everybody has to move and sell everything and go to all these different countries. We have to have our hand in getting the gospel into all the world. We're to go. It is a command, and that is what faith is. And God calls men sometimes to sell everything and to go. Archippus was one of them. He was struggling with that call to the ministry. And when he says take heed, it means pay attention to that call. Do what God is asking of you, no matter the personal cost. And to fulfill means to see it all the way through. When I got, when I got called to preach, a missions conference, and we had eight missionaries preaching, and they, two missionaries preached every night. We got out of church after 10 every night. I thought it was normal, and I loved it. And I heard two of the most passionate pleas every night for servants to go, for somebody to go, for men to surrender and go. And I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, that's you. Because <laughs> I'd love to go, well, there's somebody, that person's really smart, that person's really good looking, that person can preach, that person but I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, you. And I remember surrendering. I came up to the, uh, the front of the church and at the steps underneath the pulpit there, we call it an altar. I just laid my life down. I says, I'll go. You know what? I didn't know what I was getting into. And if you try to explain to me, well, you're going to do this. You're going to go to Bible college. You're going to marry your wife. You're going to have five kids. You're going to uh, uh, um, uh, learn this and study this. You're going to prepare this. You're going to tweak this. You're going to work that. You're going to teach this. And so I couldn't have comprehended it. But I knew this. Whatever God called me to do, I needed to fulfill it. See it through. See it all the way through. Here's a man and here's a woman. Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? You know what he's saying? Oh, yes, I do. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, I love her. Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Yes, I do. Oh, yes. Do they know what they're getting into? But you know, when they do that, when they say that I do, you know what we expect of them? To fulfill it. To see it through. Amen? I need to add a, one phrase to the, to the uh, ceremony. Um, hell or high water, you're supposed to stay together. Amen? Amen. Paul's telling Archippus, hey, Archippus, I hear you're having struggles with this thing. I want you to take heed. Remember who called you. And then I want you to see it through. Now, the truth is this. Not everybody stays in the ministry. I couldn't tell you how many people I've known who've fallen out, like Demas. I can't tell you how many have messed up. It's, it's absolutely disheartening if I were to sit and think of all the people that have Pulled out. Demas struggled and quit. John Mark quit for a little while. Peter, what did he do when the pressure was on him? He said, I don't even know the man. Don't you say, well, I'll never do that. That's what Peter said, remember? Paul struggled often. So did Elijah. Elijah just wanted to die. Jonah tried to die. <laughs> I mean, to ask somebody to throw him overboard into the ocean. 
And here's Archippus struggling with staying in the ministry. Now, here's the great truth. Those who do stay the course do so only by the grace of God that saved them. The grace that saved me and keeps me saved is the same grace that will keep me serving. If anybody ever lives their life all the way to the end serving God, let me tell you, it'll be not because they were stronger, smarter, wealthier. It'll be because they relied on the grace of Almighty God. So what do we learn from these names? Well, I think about God. Here in Colossians, he recorded names. I, I, uh, this is, this is a, a book of life. It's people. It's real lives that we can learn from. I, I, uh, I can't imagine why more Irish don't get saved because Irish are storytellers. The Irish love a good story. Well, you can't get better than this. God recorded these names for all eternity. Paul, Timothy, Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Marcus, Jesus and Justice, Luke and Demas, Nymphus and Archippus. Now that's only a, a, a partial list of about three dozen fellow helpers in Paul's ministry. And I thought about the fact these guys had some highfalutin titles. You ever heard that phrase? A highfalutin title? You ever heard that? Falutin? No, you've never heard that. It's in the Greek. Anyway, <clears throat> One man is called, get this, ready, a beloved brother. Oh, that's a title to go over your desk, amen, on your door outside, you know. How about faithful minister? How about fellow servant? All of these verses constantly repeat faithful and beloved brother, fellow prisoner, fellow workers. Someone else was called a comfort unto me. That was his title. And here was one called the Beloved Physician. Notice dentist, a dentist is not included, so I don't know how you would call a Beloved Dentist. I couldn't, anyway. The truth about these names is all of them either were bivocational or they quit their full-time jobs. Think about it, to go full-time serving God, to be able to go and to serve just like Paul was. Where is that today? You say, well, Pastor, don't you get money? Yes, I get money, but I had to quit my job first. Manage the thing so I could raise support, but the point was I was called to do a work, and I just had to trust God that the money would come, and it does. It still comes in by faith. I had a good job. Andrew had a good job. Anybody who ever gets to the ministry, we leave good, stable jobs. Because asked of us. All of that, those, those men were either bivocational or they were just living by faith, and I have the highest respect for that. We are all designed by God. We're all called to work the ministry and to work together in the ministry. There are too many one-man shows in Christianity where people burn out, wear out because they're alone. I know of a guy who was, for over 10 years, he was up in Sligo. And uh, made contact with him a couple of times, invited him down to the men's camp, uh, talked to him, self-destructed. He went home. Spent a fortune coming to Ireland and then a, sports, a fortune going home. He wouldn't work with anybody. They burn out. Some of them fall into sin because they have no accountability. Amen. You better hope there's a team around me that my wife and I stay close because the devil liked to get into every man's heart and life and eyes. Amen. 
And when you're working by yourself, it's too easy. It is too easy to fall into sin. That's not been the way of God's work. All of these people, nextly, were part of Paul's success. Paul was not a one-man show. Paul had success in the ministry because he had helpers. Say this, there are never enough helpers. Take your Bible, go to Romans 8, 28, and we'll finish this. Oh, I say this, no, but not, not everyone stays in the ministry. We find even among that list. I mean, if I was writing my, my biography, I wouldn't want to record all the duds and all the bad eggs in my ministry. And yet, I said, write Demas. <laughs> Talk about Archippus. Put in there the ups and downs, John Mark, so on and so forth. Not everybody stays in the ministry. But I want, you to, I want to ask you, what is your calling? Romans 8, 28, let me see Marcus. This should be Paul, because this is Paul's life verse, I think it was. Romans 8, 28, Marcus, please. All right. Called with a purpose. What is your purpose? It's easy if we... Well, my purpose is, you know, to be a husband or to be a wife. Or I, my purpose is to glorify God. Now, with this calling that he's talking about, if you want to have everything work together, love God and make sure you're in the will of God. Amen. Amen. So, those names, funny thing, you read in the Bible, you, how many of you ever read those names and went, okay, I'm through. <laughs> but all those names teach us a lot of things, don't they? A lot of things. All right. Uh, Let's stand, let's bow in prayer.